What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Love Talk Radio. Dr. Anonymous Show 82, Mudfutter. The Dr. Anonymous show where we go beyond the blog to bring you the best people in medicine and new media. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host, Bernie Madoff. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding on that. I, of course, I am Dr. A, and you can always find me at dranonymous.com. Today is Thursday, March 12th, 2009. It is uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time, or as we know it in, this part, in these parts of the uh, country here, uh, rock dog time. It is 27 degrees Fahrenheit. Thank you for taking the time to join me on the show this evening. I appreciate it. Our guest tonight, who will be joining us in just a few minutes, will be the blogger named Mud Butter. That's right, M-U-D-P-H-U-D-D-E-R of the uh, blog of the same name, and we'll be uh, talking about that in a few minutes. According to the blog, MP is an eighth-year MD-slash-PhD student, and we'll be talking about that at a uh, large academic center, just completed the uh, residency review process, and uh, we'll find out next week, like every other medical student in the United States, where he or she We'll be doing residency beginning in July. This is, of course, uh, called uh, Match Day, which is seen on the various uh, television shows, especially if you 
if you watch those popular medical drama television uh, shows uh, out there. Uh, but arguably, other than uh, graduation day, the most important day in the life of a medical student, and we'll be uh, getting into that discussion a little bit more. Uh, but first, I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for uh, featuring the show again this evening. We are also featured on iTunes, so check us out over there. Uh, welcome to those of you who are uh, new to the show. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I am a, a family uh, physician in full-time private practice, uh, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in the office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And I've had that block for uh, uh, two and a half years now in this show, for a year and a half uh, now, uh, how time goes by quickly here on the Internet. If you would like to join the show later this evening, the number here is 646-716-9514. And if you're listening live, how can you not listen live to this show? You can see my smiling face on the webcam this evening. And uh, you can also uh, join us in the chat room. So just a little bit of a little shout-out to the chat room there. Hello, chat room. We have Kimmy, we have Rankin, who is uh, tuning in uh, for the first time in the show. Uh, thank you for joining us. We have Ramona, we have uh, Annie and Burl, we have Epi Junkie, and we have the Reverend Rock Dog, who is uh, joining us in the chat room here this evening. Thank you, all of you, for joining us. And uh, just give a little shout-out to next week's show. Next week, one week from tonight, we'll be having a blogger called Trauma Junkie, uh, from the blog called Surviving RT School, uh, meaning uh, respiratory therapy. We'll be talking about the blog and a, an exciting new blog carnival called A Source of Inspiration, which features respiratory therapy. And, of course, coming up uh, this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, we'll be having uh, The Night Shift with Dr. A and my co-host Kat, so join us for that, and following our interview tonight with MP, we'll be discussing uh, maybe something like uh, how we are just so spoiled right now and, and how people are still not, not happy about it at all. So uh, we're going to have everything ready here. We'll be uh, taking a quick musical break here, and uh, then we'll be bringing in our guest. You are listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can find it at ProMedNetwork.com and a proud sponsor of PodCamp Ohio. You can find that at PodCampOhio.com. And right after this will be Mud Flutter. We'll be right back.
And welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous show. I think we have our guest on the line. I'd like to welcome Mudfutter to the show. Welcome uh, to the show there, MP. Hello? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you sound great. So yeah, what, you're using the, you, using the Skype there, huh? What's that? You're, it sounds like you're Skyping in. Uh, I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. It sounds, sounds like you're using some kind of uh, voiceover IP uh, uh, phone line to call into the show there. Oh, no, no. I just got a headset on. Is that cool? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, you sound great. You sound great. Uh, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, be with us here uh, this evening. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on today. Um, so I just want to start out uh, by saying uh, I, I did get your email, and, uh, you know, I definitely am going to uh, – respect your anonymity, you know, and I know if if anybody uh, knows about, you know, wanting to not be known or to be anonymous, uh, I definitely respect that. Uh, I have learned to come to be the worst anonymous medical blogger out there, uh, but uh, I definitely know where you're coming from, so I will, if I go out of bounds or if I... uh, you know, ask uh, too many, you know, too personal of a question. Just let me know, and uh, I will back up. Cool, cool. That uh, sounds good. Sounds good. You know, I, I think staying anonymous sometimes helps uh, with uh, being able to express oneself a little more freely. Sometimes, so that's that's all. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, let's kind of just start out things here. Um, just just reading your blog. It's called uh, mudfutter.com. Just reading some of your blog there. You sounds like you took kind of a non-traditional route to medical school. Uh, why don't you tell, why don't we just kind of start of how you ended up going to medical school in the first place? Oh, boy. The, the old, what, what, why did you want to be a doctor question, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you, you, you're almost graduated, so I think you could probably answer that now. It's not like you're going to be kicked out now. So. <laughs> I, I know, and how, how many times have, you know, has that question come up over, over the years? Um, I don't know. You know, I think a lot of things over the years, sort of a lot of experiences. Um, uh, per, for me personally, when I was younger, I, I uh, was sick pretty often early on in life and sort of got into, got to know uh, some of the medical profession that way. <clears throat> uh, sort of gave me an appreciation for uh, the fact that I think really health is that uh, the best gift that you can give to anyone that's the best gift that anyone can have and i think as a physician one is in a unique position to give that gift you know i i think when when you even with a simple cold when you're sick i think you know you realize how quickly or you, you quickly realize how, how important it is to have one's health i mean who cares about anything else when you, you're miserable when you feel sick um god forbid anything worse you know i think that's uh, I think that for me was a major motivation to get into medicine and the ability to sort of give back uh, one's health. So, I, you know, for me that that was that was the main thing. And sort of over the years, as um, I got more and more into sort of the science and physiology behind uh, what makes the body tick and how does it all work. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, what is the coolest? Uh, the coolest machine in the universe, right? It's the human body, at least in my opinion. I, um, that that was another reason why I got into all of this, and then sort of you, know, you can sort of tell already how you know what 
drove me into the PhD as well. But um, sort of just a whole combination of things. I think, uh, you know, sort of the altruism thing, you know, and as they say, at the bottom of <clears throat> altruism is always selfishness. But, you know, just, just the ability to give back, uh, you know, what I was saying in terms of health and also sort of from the science aspect of it, um, that's sort of what got me into the business. Sometimes uh, people uh, have some kind of event or, you know, significant event or a mentor or something that really guides you towards the health field. Did, did you have any kind of that experience uh, growing up that influenced you? Well, um, in terms of, uh, well, so I had a lot of great physicians when I was younger. Um, sort of my my good experiences with them uh, probably, I mean, certainly motivated me in some ways and definitely turned me on to the field. Um, I, you know, I, I suspect if my physicians were horrible people and I had a, a terrible experience, I probably wouldn't have gone uh, in, into the field. Um, my mother is actually also a nurse, and I think from her I, I gained a lot of interest more in terms of just uh, the physiology and and uh, sort of got my first taste a little bit of, of you know, what it feels like to take care of people. So I think in, in those ways, uh, yeah, you know, and, and I think having come, you know, so many years now down the line, I think one is influenced by a lot of um, mentors along the way. And, you know, it's all of these experiences that sort of shape us. And, you know, I, th I think I've, I've met a lot of, like, really cool physicians. Uh, a lot of people who've done a lot of good. And, um, you know, that's definitely positively influenced me uh, along the way. Now, uh, maybe talk a little bit about um, how you got interested in the um, research part um, as opposed to the clinical part. Because uh, reading your blog there, um, I guess you were a, a, a graduate uh, student first, and then you went to medical school. How did you get interested in the, in the science and the research part? Oh, sure. So, so I actually was in an uh, MD-PhD program. So the way that works is um, uh, you enter into medical school uh, already on the track to sort of do a combination degree. So after I finished college, I went to medical school as a part of an MD-PhD program. And these are government-funded um, positions. Uh, and uh, so basically... Most the way that most people do it is you do two years of medical school, then you leave and you go to graduate school and you do the whole PhD and then you come back to medical school. Uh, there are some variations on it. Some people leave after the first year of medical school. Some people leave after the third year of medical school. Um, but I, I did it the more traditional way. So I finished the first couple years of uh, I did all of the, the basic science coursework, and I even got to do a couple of clinical rotations. Uh, and then I went to graduate school and uh, finished my Ph.D. And you basically go to graduate school for as long as it takes to do the Ph.D. And, um, I mean, for me, luckily, it worked out that it was four years. And um, I went back to medical school, and, boy, that was that was a scary experience. I mean, imagine being away from uh, anything clinical 
for four years and then going back to the wards day one. That was that was an interesting experience. But um so what what drove me into the science was just I mean, as I said, I, I think for me personally, I'm, I've always been, I guess, a science geek or whatever, you know. Uh, love the science, um, love biology, physics, all of that stuff. And, and for me personally, I just think the most interesting thing is the human body. I mean, look at how complex it is, how you have all these different systems that work together uh, that, you know, make us. I mean, it, it's just, to me, it boggles my mind sometimes to just think about it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and... So just from a pure interest uh, standpoint, that's, you know, what got me into science. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think science uh, offers us as physicians another route to help patients. You know, I mean, uh, we treat patients, but, you know, I, I think for me personally, another cool way that I feel like I can give back or, or you know, sort of help patients out is to figure out things that we don't know, you know, um, if I can, I, I can give someone a medication that maybe prolongs their life some, uh, helps them out, but, you know, if, if ultimately we can't cure someone of something, you know, I think it would be really neat if, if one could figure that out. And I think science gives, gives that opportunity. I mean, when you think about uh, illnesses like any kind of cancer, um, infectious processes like HIV infection, uh, genetic hereditary disorders. I mean, we can treat a lot of these people. We can treat them for long periods of time, but uh, ultimately uh, we can't cure them. And, you know, I think science science is, is a really cool way of uh, figuring that out. I mean, I, I, I'm not so naive to think that I'm going to be the one to figure it out, but, you know, if I can, if I can make a little contribution upon which someone can build later on and come up with a solution, and that's great. Um, but so, you know, I think just personal interest, and, and I think this other route of, of, of helping out, um, of doctoring, I, I think that's uh, what, what, what got me into it. Now, I read on your blog here that uh, your Ph.D. was in uh, immunology. Um, for people who are not where you are, you know, who are not in medicine, you know, that, how, how do you how would you explain that to people who are not in medicine or not in science or you know what 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 immunology is and uh, what what your interest is with that? Um, uh, so, uh, it, the immune system is basically the mechanism through which the body prevents um, any kind of foreign invader from taking over. So whether that foreign invader is uh, bacteria, um, a virus, or even, um, I mean, it could be anything. The immune system somehow detects when something foreign enters our body um, and eliminates it. And that's the only reason why we can walk around for as long as we can walk around. Uh, you know, we are... For one, I mean, we're all colonized with gazillions and gazillions of bacteria. Um, and how do we how do we maintain that uh, equilibrium with with the bacteria? How do we maintain that relationship without the, the bacteria taking us over? Well, it's immune. Uh, how do we walk around every day with people coughing and sneezing and 
uh, spreading, you know, bacteria, viruses, uh, and then, you know, where everywhere as we walk around, we sit here, we're breathing in air. There are fungal spores that are in the air that we breathe in, but nothing happens. Um, the immune system is what um, prevents anything from happening, is what detects these foreign uh, entities and, and eliminates them and prevents them from taking over our bodies. Um, the best uh, one way of thinking about it is when you think about uh, people who are infected with HIV, which uh, basically shuts down the immune system. Hello? Yep, keep going. I hear you. I'm oh, sorry. Um, did, did you hear a beep or something? I heard something say that I was now in the host queue. That's <laughs> just blog talk radio. Yeah, yeah. No, we're good. We're good. Uh, uh, please continue. So, uh, I mean, so, you know, we've, we've all heard about HIV infection. We've all heard about AIDS. Um, AIDS. The way that HIV causes AIDS is it basically knocks out a critical part of the immune system and basically shuts down the whole immune system. Um, and these people, they don't die from having... HIV, HIV itself. Uh, they die because HIV has knocked out the immune system and they are infected with uh, uh, microbes that we, who are, for, who are people who are HIV negative, who don't have HIV, we, we can fight these microbes off piece of cake. But these people who have HIV eventually succumb to what are called opportunistic infections, um, infections by microbes that just sort of uh, take advantage of the fact that these people's immune systems are compromised, and that's what they ultimately succumb to if they're not treated. So that's sort of, I think that's the ultimate clinical um, demonstration of, of just how important the immune system is. Now that's, so that's, so that's, that's very well done because I, I know, you know people get very complicated when, uh, or things get complicated when we try to explain some of these, uh, some of these words. Um, now, that, now, don't worry about uh, you know, getting too technical or using a lot of uh, complex terms. I want to ask you this question. What, what, the, what is your uh, thesis or what's your research on what's specific to uh, immunology? So, so I studied HIV. Um, and I, I won't get too much into it because when, when people hear me talk about specifically what I worked on, it, it'll be very obvious who I am. But um, so I studied HIV, and that's um, probably sort of obvious from my explanation and sort of honing in on that. But um, right, right, right. Just, okay. I think, like I said, it, I think it's a very cool. Um, well, HIV is very neat to study on, on a, lot, a lot of different levels. I mean, for one, it's a very clinically relevant um, problem. You know, over 40 million people worldwide, I think, are infected with HIV right now. Um, over 2 million died from AIDS uh, last year. Uh, so it's, it's clinically very relevant. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, you know, I think, like I said, it, it's, it's a very clear-cut demonstration. Uh, it's, it's great evidence of just how critical the immune system is. Um, and so it's, it's and, and I guess finally, on the more molecular or basic level, um, at the cellular level, um, HIV is just an incredibly complex, complex uh, virus. Um, it does a lot of really uh, just amazing amazing things um, and you know the opportunity to study it is 
was great. Um, and I think it teaches you a lot too, because you, it forces you to think outside the box and uh, think in a lot of um, sort of ways that one wouldn't otherwise. So I, it was a great experience. Um, uh, so there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's, no, that's good. That's good. Um, so what was the experience like, um, you know, doing your research years and then getting back in the hospital and doing clinical rotations? How, how was that transition getting back into things? You did that for the past uh, couple of years, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I finished my PhD a couple of years ago and um, uh, came back to the wards. Uh, you know, the transition was, was tough. Um, it was a welcomed one, but uh, it was tough. So, you know, I think uh, when we talk about the research years, sort of like, you know, contrasting the research years to the medical years, I always tell sort of the younger students um, or the medical students who I work with who sort of ask about like the, the experience. Medical school is a lot like getting a uh, four-year jail sentence, right? You are sentenced to four years of hard time, hard labor, but at the end of four years, it's done. You're, you're, you're finished. Um, graduate school, on the other hand, is sort of like being in solitary confinement. You're sort of like, <laughs> you're sort of like in the dark. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You're in the dark. Oh, yeah. You're walking around. You don't know how much time has gone by. And finally, one day, the door opens. You see the light. And you walk on, you're like, what, four years passed by? Wow, you know, like, so that's sort of, you know, I think that's, that's the best way of sort of contrasting the two situations and sort of what you're feeling and what you're going through uh, through each one. I mean, it, it sounds pretty straightforward. You know, you, you've been through medical school. I mean, you know how tough it is. But, oh, know, yeah. At the end of the day, you sort of always have in the back of your mind, boy, you know, like in another month I'll be done with this rotation and then in another year I'll be done with this and that. And you sort of always have these uh, temporal uh, posts, uh, mileposts along the way. And, you know, but you, with graduate school, it, it really isn't there. And, and sometimes that can be really tough because, you know, you're, especially when you're sort of doing this MD-PhD thing when you know, well, after this, I still, I still have to go back and finish medical school and then I still have to do residency and, uh, it's just it it can be it can be crazy sometimes, but um, so you can sort of get an idea of like what the mindset is and and what what's going through one's head um, along the way. Um, but now something that that, that I found uh, when going through medical medical school um, is that you know you find this group of people uh, that you get to know real well. Uh, you know, because you're in the trenches with them, you know, month after month after month, you know, classes and rotations and things like that, and, and you really get to know some of these people. Um, you know, I guess since since your experience was kind of broken up, but were there were there students like you who who took you know two years and then four years and then two years, or or did you did you find that you, did you get a connection with some people, or, or was it kind of a, a different type of experience because you were with some students, and then you did research, and then you came back to the wards. How was that experience? Yeah, it's, it's a little tough because, you know, so we, we like you said, we, we, we started medical school um, all together, and usually in every class of us, there's between six and ten 
students who break off to do a PhD, but everyone starts together and you spend the first two years of medical school all together, you get to know your classmates. Like you said, I mean, you're going to class with these people every day, it's a hundred and some odd students sitting in the same room together for, you know, half the day listening to lectures. You get to know these people, they become good friends of yours um, outside of class, you hang out, you play sports together. Um, and then, you know, it's tough when you break off because you're no longer sort of uh, seeing them as, as often as, as before. I mean, you know, friendships stick around, and, and certainly I still have friends um, who, from, from my original medical school class, people that I still keep in touch with. Uh, but it's harder when, when you've broken off and you're, you're sort of in the graduate school thing and, you know, you have a different set of priorities than they do. Um, you know, it's just sort of the, the story of life, right? Like we, we sort of differentiate and go down different paths. Um, so that's tough. But, you know, it's, you, you, you keep the same friends as much as you can, and that's what we've tried to do. And I think within our own little group of uh, MD-PhD students, so every year there's a certain number of us, and uh, we're, we tend to be a pretty tight-knit bunch, um, at least at our institution. I, I think everyone sort of supports each other. And, you know, the hardest, the hardest part, and I, I'm sure you can understand this, is when, when the classmates that you came in with graduate and you're in, in uh, graduate school. And uh, that's tough. So when people, they graduate, they go away to residency, and that, that's, I think for me, that was the hardest part. And, and I think for uh, most of the MD-PhDs who I've talked to, that, that usually is the hardest part of the whole process. Uh, I was talking to a younger student just yesterday, uh, and his class is going to be graduating this year. And uh, he's a second-year graduate student right now. And, uh, you know, he's starting to feel it, too, just the fact that his, his buddies, um, his classmates, they are graduating this May. Uh, and, you know, that was, for me, like I said, that was the hardest part. And I think it really hit home with when, like, about a month after graduation, when, when my classmates graduated, I was walking through the hospital going to lab. And uh, I saw one of my medical, I saw one of my, uh, sorry, are we here? Am I still there? Yeah, yeah. keep going. Keep going. <laughs> sorry, I heard that again. All right. So, no, yeah, it's okay. Was, That's right. That that blips up every once in a while. I don't know. I don't know why it, uh, that happens, but uh, but you're still here. So uh, so uh, go ahead. So, so I mean, as I was saying, you know, uh, about a month after my med my med school classmates graduated, I was walking to lab, cutting through the hospital, and I run into one of my classmates. He's like, "Hey, how's it going?" And he's got this long white coat on, and boy, that 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 hit home right there. It's just like, wow, you know that. That, you know, I think that's uh, it's an interesting it's it's an interesting situation and a reaction that you know you just you know I think that's when it that's when it really hits you that wow I'm I'm in graduate school right now and usually that second year of graduate school is right when things start getting uh, a little hairy and uh, so I think that that's I think probably the hardest part of it all. No, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, and, and, and just to, to kind of explain to to the audience, because this is a little bit inside baseball type stuff. Uh, uh, you know, when you're when you're a med student, um, 
and uh, you know, one one of the uh, signposts, one of one of the you know big things that that uh, at least med students look for is you know you get you get the lab coat and it's 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 what we call a short lab coat because it comes down to the waist. Um, and uh, a lot of medical schools now have a huge kind of ceremonial type thing, and it usually symbolizes uh, uh, students going from the classroom into the hospital doing the rotations, and that, that's usually a, a, a big day in a medical student's life. Um, and and uh, it's, it's it's a whole symbolism thing because you know when you when you graduate. Uh, medical school, and uh, I think you just said it maybe in graduate school too. Is you get you get this longer lab coat, uh, which is kind of a I don't know. It's, it's uh, you know when you walk around the hospital, you know people people kind of know who is who when you see some of that, and uh, um, you know it's hard to explain to, to people who are not in medicine, but it, uh, but I understand, totally understand what you're saying about you know. You know, about moving it through different steps of your education, whether you're a medical, you know, medical student or MD, PhD student. Uh, so I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. So, Doctor, I don't want to, I don't want to date you, but did they have white coat ceremonies when you were in medical school? Because I know it's a fairly new phenomenon, right? It's not, it's not that old. Uh, no, actually, they they did not uh, have that uh, when I was going through. So. Our big thing, uh, because it was, you know we got our uh, you know short coat in the, in the bookstore, and we're like, oh, okay, a, and we make sure we had our badge uh, from our medical school, and it was on all that kind of stuff. I think for, for us, or at least for my class, the big thing was was getting the pager, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah. you know, like like we're like you know we're we're moving up in the world, and then the problem was that the pager went off, and then you had to do something about it. So <laughs> we all found that out the first night we were on call. We're like. Oh yeah, it goes off, and you have to call somebody back, and you know, and actually do something. And sometimes it's very comfortable. So, uh, so that, that, that so, yeah. so to answer your question, we didn't. I, I think it started maybe two or three years after uh, after I left there is when they had this huge white coat uh, ceremony. What, what do you What do you think about the whole white coat ceremony? Well, I mean, I, I I think you know during uh, during medical school, there's you know there are certain times where you I, I think you have to recognize that yeah you know a, a student has achieved you know this in the curriculum and and said if for everything else said hey you got this far um, and this is kind of the next step in your training because uh, it kind of goes the other way too in that. You know, we, we talk about people who are ahead of us uh, who graduate, and you kind of see that. But, you know, I, and I've talked about it on this show, too, is that you know, there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of good friends of mine that I lost along the way, whether it be first year or second year or third year, that uh, for whatever reason, whatever circumstances, whether it be academic or personal or whatever, uh, they had to leave school. And, uh, um, and uh, the kind of the funny part now is that, you know, some of them have found me on Facebook or I found them on Facebook and, and kind of uh, caught up with them. And some of them said, you know, leaving medical school was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, uh, so it kind of goes both ways as far as the whole medical school experience. It's, it's, it's more than you know, uh, learning, doing the book learning and, and learning about patients. Uh, it's, it's, it's this uh, um, uh, interfacing and, and, and uh, getting to know uh, people in your own class as well. Right. Yeah, I think that's certainly like one of the special experiences that um, one can have 
going through medical school, uh, just getting to know the people that you're with. Yeah, that's really cool. That's interesting. And I, I was having dinner with one of our attendings a few nights ago, and he did medical school back, I think, like in the 60s or something like that. And, uh, you know, the subject of white coat ceremonies came up, and, you know, he was just like, I mean, like, like you know, I guess similar to you, um, you know, where you're saying that the big thing for you guys was getting that, that uh, the beaver. You know, for I guess it, for them, it, the white coat wasn't a big deal either. It was just like it just shows up in the mail one day, and there you have it, like, it's a white coat, you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think there are definitely stages in, in medical school, um, sort of mileposts where, you know, you have these experiences, and uh, they, they mean something, you know. They're memories at you know, special times. Uh, oh, sure, sure. Uh, let me uh, kind of reset things here. So uh, welcome, everybody, to the Dr. Anonymous show. And uh, our guest uh, uh, tonight is uh, Mudfutter. You can find him at mudfutter.com. I will drop that in the chat room here. And just want to give another uh, shout-out there uh, to the chat room here. Um, so we have uh, Kimmy, we have uh, Rankin, we have Ramona, um, Annie and Burl, uh, Epi Junkie, Mother Jones RN is joining us, Betty Mary Mary. We have Carrie from SixAntilMe.com. Thank you for joining us. And uh, Eric from Damage Inc. We have a couple of guests in there as well. So thank you for joining us uh, this evening. Uh, so let's kind of uh, switch gears here. So um, um, I did want to talk about uh, Match Day. Um, and I see on your blog there you have a, a, a very uh, – uh, I don't know. I guess I the opinionated and uh, provocative uh, uh, type post here. Let me just kind of set things up here before we get into this discussion. So, uh, so I did talk about it on my blog. For those who don't know, uh, you know, Match Day is, is is arguably you know one of the most important days in a medical student's life, and uh, it is the day where uh, where students find out where they're going to be continuing their medical training um, in a, a residency program. And uh, the process is, you know, during your last year of medical school, probably about halfway through, uh, that you uh, participate in an interview process. It could be locally where you are. It could be across the country, uh, flying here and there, uh, and uh, uh, selecting where you want to go. Now, it's just not one way. It, it's uh, the residency programs also kind of have a list of the, uh, the the students that they would want to have in their program, and uh, they submit a list, and then the students submit a list to where they want to go, and uh, um, everybody finds out uh, next week. So if you talk to any med student right now, either you know they're very happy or they're very stressed out, depending on who, who they are. So, uh, so that, that's why I wanted to to bring MP on the show here and to, to discuss this a little bit. And uh, a very interesting post today to encourage people to check that out. It's called Match Day and uh, the Rest of My Life. So I, I took a read of that today. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, it doesn't get more real than that. So uh, uh, so I'll just kind of open things up here, MP. So how, why don't you share with us your, uh, uh, your interview uh, experience for residency? Well, so I'll preface it by saying, you know, I was sort of reflecting on the whole experience uh, last night and, and wrote that post uh, just as a way of, of getting out some, some of some of the uh, frustrations of the experience. But, you know, I think overall it actually was, it was an amazing time. Um, so uh, I guess one of the 
one of the things that I complain, I think really everyone complains about, is the fact that this whole process uh, occurs throughout the winter time. And when we're traveling in the dead of winter and we're going on all of these interviews. Um, but despite that, I mean, this is, I think, probably the only time uh, in our careers where we get to meet uh, essentially the leaders of our field through these interviews. Um, you know, what, when, what other time is there going to be when the chair of the department of whatever at X university is going to sit down and read about me and then immediately afterwards uh, solidify sort of all of that by talking to me for 15, 20 minutes. Um, for, for example, uh, uh, just kind of jumping in here, for example, like somebody whose name you've seen like on a textbook or, or a name that you've seen on a research paper, you know, what, what one of those type of names, I, I gather what you're saying. Sure. I mean, yeah, these guys, you know, they are medical rock stars, right? Like, I mean, it's sort of a geeky thing to say, but in our field, like these are, these are the rock stars. These are the guys who you want to meet and just sort of, you know, pick their brain. Um, and they're sort of the guys that are put up there um, on pedestals, and, and we get to sit down and have one-on-one -on -one chats with them as part of the interview process. Um, so that's really cool. That's, that's actually, you know, it makes the whole process worth it right there um, because in any other setting, whether it's a conference um, or anything like that, you're really not going to get that, that kind of attention and that kind of opportunity to sit down and speak one-on-one -on -one with these people who are sort of the, the movers and shakers of the field, the guys who sort of shape the direction of how research goes or how clinically the field moves. Uh, so that's really neat. And, uh, and just the, the large volume of uh, just faculty in general who you meet and then also you get to meet the people who are also going into the field with you, the other medical students, um, people who are going in at the same time as you. Um, and that's, that, I think, is also really awesome, you know, because I met a lot of really neat people, uh, great guys, um, people who I've actually kept in touch with now, um, even after the interview season has ended. Um, and I think that's really cool, because we're all going into the field together, um, we're all starting our careers together. Uh, so that's a really neat experience as well. Um, isn't, that, uh, isn't that kind of awkward? Because sometimes, you know, you're directly competing with some of these people for, you know, your top slot or your dream type of job. Yeah, that's, you know, that's totally true. Um, but, you know, at the same time, though, there's – we sort of, I think, realize, and you probably remember this too, some of it just – the, the part of the, some of the process just seems so arbitrary, and you sit in a room, and you talk to these people, and they're all great, right? Like there's like 20 or 30 really great people applying for, say, four slots, right? I mean, it just it it becomes almost so arbitrary how they pick which four people are going to end end up filling those slots, and at some point, I think you sort of forget about, like, the whole competition part. You're sort of, you know, I at least found myself sitting there and thinking, you know, boy, all of these people are awesome. They're amazing. You know, how they, how, how the programs decide to rank us, I don't know. And, you know, so that sort of took the edge off the whole competition because everyone's great. Everyone, you know, um, you know everyone's very competitive. Um, 
so I think that that helps. And, and at some point, I think most people realize that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that sort of helps take the edge off a little bit. Um, so if you could change it, how would you change it? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, or, or, you know, or, or you, you can skip that question if you like, I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get too, uh, too detailed. Well, I mean, you know, I think one of the things is that it's, it's a pretty, um, unorganized, uh, process. I think it's not, uh, like every program does sort of like what they need to do. And that's understandable. I think, you know, these people are all very busy and, um, uh, sort of have to arrange what works for each department. But uh, one of the things that I commented on in, in the, my blog post was that um, I went on interviews that I ultimately ended up not ranking. And that ended up costing me a lot of money for travel. And I think for students, um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest issues with, with the whole uh, residency interviews is that we are paying for all of these trips. And I mean, just to put it in perspective, one interview, um, say on the other side of the country requires that uh, I fly out, I buy plane tickets to fly across the country round trip and uh, book a hotel room for uh, one or two nights uh, and obviously meals and things like that as well. Um, and that's just one interview. And then if you think about having to do that 10, 15 times, uh, that can add up very quickly. Uh, so I think, you know, that, that ultimately is one of the biggest um, frustrations for medical students for this whole, with this whole process is just the sheer uh, amount that it costs to do it. I mean, for, when I was applying for MD-PhD programs, uh, we were lucky in that we had um, our travel reimbursed. So I sort of dodged that bullet eight years ago. Uh, but this time around, I mean, that, that was tough. And, uh, you know, if, if, for example, everyone knew what interviews they were going to get up front, or at least one initial wave of interviews went up, uh, one could do a better job of weeding out what, what they would want to go to and what they wouldn't. But uh, when you're early in the interview season, you've got to take what comes your way. Uh, and you don't really have much, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be very wise to not do so. So, I went on several interviews that I probably ultimately wouldn't have gone on if I hadn't known uh, up front what I, was, what I would get offered. And uh, I think that happens to a lot of students. I've spoken with a lot of students who've, who've said that uh, and echoed those sentiments. Like they, they've spent you know, easily over $1,000 on interviews that they probably shouldn't or wouldn't have gone on. Um, so I think, you know, I think that can be fixed, and, and hopefully. And, um, you know, the whole travel during the winter is, is also pretty tough. But, I, you know, I don't know if, if there's really an easy way or if there's a better time to do it. I think there's never a good time to travel. But, whew, some of that travel in the wintertime. I, I put up a few posts um, on that along the way. And uh, if you have time to just check those out, I mean, you'll see, like, how tough it was. Um, I think I linked to them actually from my from the post on on the on the match day that I put up last night. So um, so those are really the the two biggest components I think. Um, but you know, 
we do it with it. It's a great experience. Um, and, uh, you know, once in a lifetime kind of a thing. Uh, very exciting. And uh, the end results will be released in one week. Right, right. Um, I, I guess my final question before we're moving on to your blog and our, our last topic is uh, when you talk with uh, – um, you know, with, with underclassmen medical students um, about, you know, this process. So what, what advice do you give to students who are going to be, you know, interviewing next year or the, you know, the year after as far as, you know, your experience with this process? There, there's a question in the chat room that, that, uh, that uh, says, uh, uh, you know, if, if they ask you something like, why should we take you, over this other person, and you know, and I don't want you to you know go through your whole resume okay. and stuff, but um, but I guess in general, do you have any advice in general for students who are going to be you know like interviewing next year? You know, I think the best advice I can give is to just have fun with it. It's going to be um, it's it's a very hectic schedule. You're going to be scrambling to get from interview to interview. Um, just enjoy it, have fun with it, and all the sort of unpredictable things that pop up, um, canceled flights, uh, you know, getting snowed in, things that would normally drive you completely nuts. Just have fun with it because there's really nothing else you can do. Uh, and it's what, just one of those things that would, is probably not that funny to you then, but in a couple of months, uh, you'll be able to laugh about it. And be yourself at your interviews, obviously. Have fun because, you know, really you're, you are interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. Um, you are, you know, you're going to spend the next however many years of your life at this place working with uh, actually a much smaller group of people than in medical school. Uh, this isn't a hundred and some people anymore. This is uh, maybe a group of maybe 15, 20 to, I don't know, 50 or 60 people who you will be working with um, all the time. So, you know, really you, you need to find a place that's a good fit for you, uh, just like they're looking for a good fit for them for themselves as well. So I would take that approach as well um, and not be so nervous about the whole process because, you know, ultimately I think people are going to be happy wherever they wind up and, um, you know, someone's going to be successful. I think that they can be successful anywhere. Now, obviously, we all have our preferences. You know, I did rank somewhere number one on my list and somewhere last on my list. So, but, you know, I think ultimately I would be happy wherever. Um, and if I, if, you know, God willing, I'm going to be successful, I think I'd be successful whether it's at number one or at number, you know, whatever, 20 or 30, right? Uh, so I think, you know, the best advice is just relax, have fun. And, uh, you know, I, I will address the question that was in the chat room, though, because uh, – and you, it was something like, why would they take um, – like, why would someone take me over somebody else, right? Right. So I actually got that question a few times um, on the interview trail. And the reason why I'll address it is because um, – you know, actually, I think I wrote a post on this on my blog, too, because – you know, that question just kills me. Like, it just, you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's really ridiculous for medical students to be put in a position where they have to, especially what you're being asked to do is 
talk down about everyone else who is interviewing with you. And I refused to answer the question. Um, you know, my answer was always that, look, everyone who I'm interviewing with, everyone else who's here, they're all talented. They've all done a lot of stuff. You know, I've done research. They've done research probably. Maybe I've done a little more in some areas. Maybe they've done a little more in some areas. But I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, basically put them down uh, to make myself look better or, you know, I mean, because there's really not, no one thing that you can say. Everyone is unique in the combination of characteristics, traits, and skills that they bring to the table. Um, yeah. And if you, you know, for someone to say, tell me why I should choose you, you know, I'd say, well, you know, you have my CV in front of you. Um, you sort of, you've talked to me. You sort of have an idea of uh, who I am and sort of what I bring to the table. If you can't figure it out, I'm not going to sit here and, you know, try to you know, say anything that would in any way reflect negatively on the other people who I'm interviewing with and who are going to be my colleagues. You know, I think it's, to me, that's almost, that question is almost bordering on, on, on unprofessional a little bit. So, you know, I think for medical students next year who are faced with a similar situation or a similar question, you know, I would just answer it any way you feel comfortable. I mean, that's how I felt comfortable answering it. And if you also feel like it's sort of a ridiculous question to have to answer, you know, I would say as much, politely, of course. So, I mean, what, what, what I usually tell people, I mean, I, I you know, I think it's a, it's a character question. I think they want to get you a little bit unsettled. And, you know, what I did uh, is that, you know, I, I, I took two or three things off my, uh, off my resume and I said, this is what I, you know, this is, this is why I should be here. And then I turned the question around and, you know, why should I be at your program and not at the program across the street? And, uh, you know, that kind of threw people off too. So I, sometimes I tell students that too, to see, you know, just to see what they say, you know, because it, it's, it's interesting, Dr. you know. You're, you're uh, Dr. A. I mean, like you, as you're saying, this is as much uh, an opportunity for medical students to find the fit that's right for them. And it's as much medical students interviewing them, and, and they should be doing what you're saying. I mean, you sh we should be asking, why should I be coming here? And that's, that's a great question, actually. Um, actually, we have a caller here. So if you're willing to take a call here, this is uh, one of our uh, favorite, uh, one of our favorite uh, bloggers here. So I think this is Mother Jones. Uh, hi, Mother Jones. Hello, darling. How are you? This is uh, Mudfutter. Say hello to, to MP here. Hello there. Hello, Mother Jones. How are you? I'm trying to behave myself. It's just really hard these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, on, on this show, you, you do not have to behave yourself, so you can, you can ask any question you like there, MJ. Well, I just want to say that um, speaking for the nursing profession, I don't know too many nurses who don't have a soft spot in their heart for medical students because you are really kind of, you know, on the hierarchy of the hospital, you're the grunts. And <laughs> as much as much as nurses feel like they're on the low end of the totem pole, you guys, well, we just outrank you, which is we're, sad. We're the, we are the peons of the, the medical totem pole. <clears throat> oh, yes, you are. And um, it, it's, it's um, you just... Bring out the mother in us, and uh, we we want to take care of you. Well, you know, I think I think no, there, you will find 
very few medical students who've actually made it through their clinical experience without the help of a nurse. I think uh, you guys help us quite a bit. And I, I won't get into comparing with other people for, for the sake of not getting myself into trouble, but I will go so far as to say that you guys help us quite a bit. You know, when, when I'm doing the 3 a.m. blood draw on a patient, you know, uh, I can assure you that the person who I'm going to for help is, is that patient's nurse. And, you know, I've always been treated very well, respectfully, and, and have gotten a lot of help. So, uh, you know, I think medical students appreciate it. Hopefully they're expressing that to you, um, at least through their behavior, if not uh, explicitly. But, uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, most of the medical students I've worked with are very humbled before me because I have a tendency to scare the hell out of people anyway, and I, I don't understand that. that. I was going to say that because you're, they're afraid of you, MJ. That's why. <laughs> That's why they respect you. I bring the fear out in people, but there, there was one medical student I'll never forget. It was about 20 years ago. We noticed he kept eating oatmeal, and we were wondering, well, is he vegetarian? Is he, does he have food allergies? I mean, we, we were making bets on why this kid was, you know, did he have an oatmeal fetish? What the heck was going on? So not being particularly shy, I pulled him aside one day and I said, so how many pounds of oatmeal do you eat a week, you know? And long story short, he was saving money for these trips for the interviews uh, yeah. that you were talking about, and that's all he ate was oatmeal, so he could save his money to go on these trips. So, of course, the word went out, and um, not only did we bring him sack lunches, the nurses started inviting him to come to their homes for supper, and that was wow. seven days a week. And then when he finally started going on these trips, we... Um, uh, adopted him and pooled some money together to help pay for his tickets. Wow. We loved him. Wow. He was yeah, a good boy. Yeah, sure did. <laughs> so, uh, so, MJ, before I let you go here, so do you have any advice for this graduating medical student who is soon going to be an intern somewhere? Well, I think you know, he's probably um, got a head start on a lot of his peers because his mom's a nurse. You know, you just you don't take the last piece of pizza at the nurse's station because we'll chop your hand off. You know, um, ask before you steal food because we're very territorial with our snacks. Um, let's see, what else? Treat us like nice people, and we treat you like nice people. Um, don't get cocky because we'll kill you. <laughs> but you already know that. Your mother raised you right. I can tell you're a very nice boy. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. Try to listen to your advice. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Mother Jones. Thanks as always. Loving kisses, in. dear. So you are you are the best. You have You're a good night. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> All right, that is uh, Mother Jones. Her blog is called uh, Nurse Ratchet's Place. You can find it at nurseratchetsplace. 
dot com. And uh, yeah, I would I would definitely echo that. Uh, when I was uh, when I was an intern, uh, those first few nights on call were just so dicey, and uh, right. a lot of those nurses really helped me out. And uh, you know, it's give and take. You know, when you know when when I got back from the cafeteria or something like that, I'd bring them some treats or something like that, and and uh, you know, to talk with them and ask questions, and uh, they really uh, helped me get through my intern year. So so learn is. I mean, I'd, I'd probably learn as much from the nursing staff than I did uh, from uh, you know any attending or any of my other senior residents that first year because you're just you're just a sponge and it's just uh, the uh, the learning curve is just huge uh, when you're an intern. Right. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've heard from people who've gone through it is, you know, on the first day of internship, you know, you'll get a a page that you know this person has a headache. Can I give them some Tylenol? And it's a very simple question, right? Can I give someone Tylenol? But all of a sudden, you're sitting there and you're wondering, is there any reason why I I, I shouldn't give this guy Tylenol? You know, like can I like you know you start, you you know all of a sudden you're analyzing whether you can give someone Tylenol, and uh, you know a lot of times if you can actually on these more specialized units where the nurses are used to taking care of these patients, um, they know the answers to these kinds of questions, these sort of bread and butter types of questions, and. And you know they definitely help you get by. I think. Um, oh yeah, and 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 they test you, and they test you early, and they should because the residency director, you know, you know, you know, I mean, good residency rec- directors get their feedback too, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's cool after you graduate, you know, for the first month and a half, but you know, when 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 you get paged, and then you know, somebody calls you doctor on the phone in July, oh, you're like, oh man, that's me, <laughs> like. Man, this is not like a cool title, and I don't have this diploma. Like, I actually have to do something now at three o'clock in the morning uh, to this, you know, intensive care patient or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's going to be a real trip. I think I, that's uh, I think that that's when it's going to hit home. You know, for at least for me, I think next year when when I get that call, I'm like, doctor, you know, well, what do we do? That's going to be yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so before you go, I do want to give a, a shout out to uh, to your blog here. It's a fabulous blog. Um, it's called uh, mudfudder.com. Why don't you tell us a little bit? Uh, uh, do you remember kind of the uh, first blogs that you started reading, and uh, you know, kind of how you got uh, interested in, in new media? Um, well, I, I sort of got interested in in uh, all of it uh, through just sort of my interest in writing. I've always liked to write. Um, you know, in graduate school, it was research papers. Uh, but, you know, to be quite honest with you, outside of my uh, advisor and, and my mom, like, I don't know who else has read my papers. It's probably no one, right? Uh, so I was, you know, I was looking for ways of writing and sort of connecting with other people. I think one of the neat things with uh, medicine and academics is that so many people go through, like, the same experiences. And it's always neat to, like, read about other people's experiences, uh, good or bad. You know, I think uh, just sharing those kinds of things, it, it helps not only the writer, but also people who read and um, uh, sort of if they can glean some information, something helpful from it, then, you know, I, I at least feel like, you know, something good came out of out of all, all of, you know, whatever happened. If, uh, if someone can learn from it and, and, you know, hopefully either avoid or, avoid something bad or repeat something good. Um, 
so that's sort of how I got into it. You know, I, I've always been interested in those kinds of things and in writing in particular. So, um, I, you know, and I've read a lot of like really cool blogs. Um, uh, on my blog roll, I, I sort of have a. It's so far, it's it's kind of short, but I have a list of some of the blogs that I uh, consistently look at. Um, uh, they're all academic uh, physicians or um, researchers. And, uh, you know, it's, these guys are just like keeping it real, you know, it's sort of talking about what uh, they deal with and what they go through on a daily basis because, you know, medicine is, uh, you know, I think the end result is amazing, but day to day, it's not really, it's not really a glorious job. You know, we, we go through a lot, we, we, we see and deal with a lot too, but it's all part of the, the trade and it's cool, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to read some of these blogs and especially in academics. I mean, in academics in particular, I think it's, you know, people don't do it for glory. Like you really have to love to do it, um, to get into it. So, um, uh, like for example, I'm trying to think. So, uh, Dr. Shock, I don't know if you've read his blog, Shock MD. Uh, oh, that's very good. Yeah. He's great. I mean, that is, that is an amazing blog. He's got a lot of, um, uh, like basically uh, papers and things like that. Interesting, helpful information uh, that um, he runs across, he puts up there, and it's it's always neat to read and I always learn something from reading his blog. Um, I don't know, have you heard of uh, Comrade Physioprof? Um, Actually, I've not. So he's on my blog roll as well. I think his, um, well, you guys can check it out on my blog roll. Um, Really great guy. He's, I think, a physiology professor somewhere. And, uh, you know, he, he tells it how it is. He's one of the more in-your-face bloggers, and I love reading his blog. It's, it's always interesting. Um, uh, Isis, the domestic goddess, have, have, you, have you read her blog? No, no. I, I admit I, uh, um, I, I have to read more about and learn more about these kind of uh, academic blogs and, and more science-related blogs as opposed to clinical. Um, but I, I was able to check some of them out. But uh, um, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, even like reading blogs, you know, like yours, I mean, it, it, it exposes me or it, you know, it, it lets me find other type of writing, uh, specifically like science and research, which I'm not that familiar with. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think um, a lot of these guys, they do just a great job of sort of talking about the day-to-day of, of uh, what goes on in, in academics, um, either on the science side or uh, on the medicine side. And, um, uh, you know, they, in a lot of ways, like just reading their blogs, it was sort of inspiring to, you know, start my own as well. And they've all been very supportive, I, I think, since, um, since I've started um, and, you know, with helpful advice and things like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, for me personally, I, I just like to write, uh, you know, for me, like, because I enjoy writing and, and to uh, sort of with a glimmer of hope that maybe someone can uh, glean something helpful off of, uh, you know, off of my posts. So, and, and usually that's what my posts are geared towards is just sort of, uh, talking about the day-to-day, but also trying to throw in some, you know, maybe throw in something that might be helpful uh, every once in a while, too. Um, and uh, well, one uh, final question before I, uh, before I let you go. Um, as far as the whole 
MD, PhD experience. It's been a you know, pretty good chunk of your life. Um, uh, I guess kind of, you know, especially because, you know, maybe graduation, you know, is coming up and, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, what, uh, have you been reflective at all or, or as, as far as, you know, how has this kind of experience changed you going through this? Um, you know, I think it's made me a little more realistic in terms of what, how, I guess, uh, everything, like, I guess the world of academics actually is. Um, not in a bad, I'm not trying to say it in a bad way, but I think, you know, when we come in as MD-PhD students, I think almost all of the MD-PhD students who come in, um, come in wanting to go into academics, but, you know, having, being freshly graduated out of college, we have no idea what it's like. And we have no idea what it's like to be in academics. We have no idea really what big-time research is like. We have no idea what it's like to be even remotely close to being a physician. Um, and I think in the last eight years, to varying degrees in each of those categories, I've gained a lot more experience. And, you know, I think one of the things that I have learned in the last eight years is that, you know, I really want to do this. Uh, and I think having gone through all of those experiences um, has given me more confidence that this is actually what I want to do. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, one of the things that I talked a lot about on the interview trail uh, when they asked me about graduate school and a PhD. And, you know, if you can do a PhD and leave and still love to do research and still think about it every day, um, then you're probably meant to do research because, you know, it's a tough experience. And uh, if you can make it through and uh, still want to do it, you know, then you should have some confidence that you're probably going to do it. And I think the same with, you know, medical school. You know, you see a lot of stuff. And if you leave and you graduate and you still love it and you look forward to doing it every day, um, then you can be confident, I think. Uh, and again, you know, despite it being eight years of my life, I think it's still very limited scope, uh, uh, limited experience on my part. But I think still I can be more confident that this is what I want to do and this is what I will enjoy doing for the rest of my life. So, you know, it's been a long time. Um, but, you know, it's I've seen a lot. I've learned a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I just I'm, I've come out of it more convinced than ever that, you know, I want to pursue a career in academic medicine. And, uh, you know, I'll keep going down that path until uh, someone doesn't let me anymore, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I think that's sort of what I've learned from it. Great, great. Well, let's see. Let's see we, have, let's, we have one more caller here. Let's see who this is. Hello, who is this? Am I on the air? Yes, uh, who is this? Hey, this is Eric from Montana, and I have I have a doctor question, and I've never been able to get a straight answer from it, and and, and maybe maybe you could tell me. Is that okay? No. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering, and 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 I'm hoping that this is the right group to ask because and different physicians that I talk to just kind of hedge hedge it and won't. won't really go into it. My question is, why is the medical community 
particularly the AMA, so supportive of 12-step groups, namely AA, with their absolutely dismal success rate and, and, and basically turning the field of medicine, an area of medicine, basically over to prayer. And, and, and why is that not addressed by the medical community, that that could be done better? Hmm. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, I don't speak for the AMA. Um, I'm not asking you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, I, I think that's kind of a generalization. Uh, you know, it I, uh, uh, sounds like you've had an experience with this uh, that is kind of bringing on this type of question. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on it, and, and, and it's, I mean, with, with, with good, good, you know, longitudinal studies, good, good research studies, it has either no effect or negative effect on the people that it's exposed to, yet it's constantly, I guess, promoted by, by the medical industry. And I'm really confused about it because, you know, in 12-step groups themselves, you know, they tell people not to take medication and, and do things that's just not cool. And I'm wondering where this embrace comes from. Well, I mean, that's that's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I I haven't uh, I haven't seen that characterized how you're characterizing it. I mean, it's it's certainly a uh, um, an option for treatment. Um, I haven't really seen it uh, promoted kind of as a frontline type of thing. Uh, so I. I mean, it's 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 one of the many options for treatment. It's something that we do know is that you know we could do a lot better uh, job, you know, with with uh, with addiction and with recovery. Um, and there's more than one um, option uh, for people. So, I mean, I, I know well, that's that, probably I, not the answer that you're looking for, but uh, well, no, I, uh, I mean, I, hey, can I, I can I actually can I actually just I'll I'll echo. Um, Dr. A's statements as well. I haven't quite seen it characterized in that way. Um, what I do know and what I have seen on the wards is that, you know, substance abuse is a very serious problem. It's, it's a complicated problem, and it needs to be approached in a sort of multidisciplinary way. And one of the ways that it's tackled is through these kinds of support groups and 12-step programs. Now, I haven't looked at any data or studies that have uh, looked at this, and, and I, I'm actually surprised at um, what you're saying about good studies finding no effect or even a negative effect. I don't know if I believe that, and I'd have to look at the studies before I could comment on that. Um, okay, well, there, there are no one, internal studies. Sure, okay, so, but, you know, I think the point is that, um, you know, I think these ki this kind of support system, I think, is important for these patients as one means uh, it, in, in the context of an overall approach. It's, I think by no means is there any one cure-all that can tackle substance abuse, but um, as one, one part of an overall approach, I think that's how, it's, how I've seen it used and how I've seen it promoted. So, again, I, I think it's similar to what Dr. A said. Um, uh, so, you know, that's it. So, I mean, I, I hope that, you know, I don't know, I don't well, know if that answers your question, but that's, that's I mean, that's... that's 
more of a square answer than I've gotten from most doctors because they really, a lot of them really try to 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 you know ditch that question. I mean, they they will be very evasive about it, and particularly when I ask them if they consider alcoholism a disease, and it's just weird because I mean, doctors, senior doctors, will just kind of look at the floor and look away and not really answer a question, and it's it's amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a topic that needs to be talked about. And, uh, you know, we certainly, you know, need people like you asking these type of questions and, uh, you know, to continue the dialogue there. So, but uh, thank you so much for your question and thank you so much for calling in tonight. Okay. Have a good night. Okay. Okay. Uh, MP. So, uh, hey, good job with that. Uh, good job with that question there. So, uh, uh, so before I let you go, uh, I mean that was that was that was, a, that was a, a great kind of summary as far as you know a little bit of self-reflection as as uh, as you get to the end uh, at least at this part of your training. So uh, I do want to thank you for being on the show. Good luck with Match Day uh, next week, and um, I hope uh, I'm not sure if you're if if you will or but uh, I hope you at least uh, um, at least let us know uh, kind of uh, what happened. And uh, I know uh, you know we've had a great chat room here tonight, and I know they're. They're risking the best of luck uh, as well uh, yeah, for next week. Thanks a lot, Doctor, and thanks a lot for having me on tonight. I had a had a really good time, and uh, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll let you guys know how it turns out. Okay. 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 Well, thank you, Luck, for being on the show, and you have a good night. You too. Thank you. Bye. Okay. All right, kids, that is uh, Mudfutter. You can find him at mudfutter.com, and uh, it was a great interview, a great uh, answer to that question here. We have uh, 12 minutes left here. I need to catch my breath here, and uh, we will, we will uh, end the show here in a few minutes, but nobody go anywhere. You are uh, listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. And welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show. So how about that, kids? Mud Fodder MP, man, got my back there on that question. Uh, great job with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, hey, that's, uh, uh, treatment of, uh, you know, addicted, you know, patients. That's, that's always a, uh, it's always a, uh, a challenging topic to uh, talk about. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll t- cover that in a, a future show here, but that's, uh, it's always uh, something to, uh, to think about and something I deal with, uh, every day. But, uh, we got, uh, about 10 minutes left here. I'm going to end here on a high note here. And, uh, you may have seen it on my blog here uh, today, and uh, it's, it's basically just a, a comedian uh, from uh, the former <laughs> Late Night with Conan O'Brien show, uh, and uh, talking about uh, technology and, and talking about all the 
uh, fascination and all the advances that uh, have been made over the years and how we're just just too spoiled with it and we should just kind of take a break. <laughs> this takes about uh, three minutes and uh, I'll talk about it on the other side. Enjoy this because this is very funny. Uh, so here we go. Back then, yeah. Those were simpler times, I think. I just feel like we may be going back to that, by the way. But uh, in a way, good, because when I read things like the foundations of capitalism are shattering, I'm like, maybe we need that. Maybe we need some time where we're walking around with a donkey with pots clanging on the sides. You, you think know? that would just bring us back to reality? Yeah, because everything is amazing right now, and nobody's happy. Like, in my lifetime, the changes in the world have been incredible. When I was a kid, we had a rotary phone. We had a phone that you had to stand next to. And you have to dial it. Yes. Do you, do you realize how primitive... You're making sparks <laughs> in a phone. And you actually would hate people with zeros in their numbers because it was more... Right. Like, oh, this guy's got two zeros. Screw that guy. Why do I want to... Yeah. <laughs> and then if, you, if they called and you weren't home, the phone would just ring lonely by itself. <laughs> and then if you wanted money, you had to go in the bank. For, when yes. it was open for like three hours... You just stand in line, write yourself a check like an idiot. And then when you run out of money, you just go, well, I can't do any more things now. That's right. I can't do any more That's things. That's it, yeah. That was it. And even if you had a credit card, they'd, the guy would go, oh, and he'd bring out this whole shunk, shunk, and he'd write, yeah. Oh, you have to call the president to see if you have any money. And it's all true, kids. You had to call the president, yeah. It was ridiculous. Yes. Do you feel that we now... In the 21st century, we take technology for granted. Well, yeah, because now we live in an, in an amazing, amazing world, and it's wasted on the, on the crappiest generation of just spoiled idiots that don't care, because this is what people are like now. they got their phone, and they're like, ugh, it won't... Give it a second! Give it, it's going to space! Can you give it a second to get back from space? Is the speed of light too slow for you? Yeah. yeah. I was, on a, I was on an airplane, and there was internet, high-speed internet on the airplane. That's yes. the newest thing that I know exists. And I'm sitting on the plane, and they go, open up your laptop. You can go on the internet. And it's fast, and I'm watching YouTube clips. It's, I'm in an airplane. And then it breaks down. And they apologize. The internet's not working. The guy next to me goes, this is bull****. <laughs> like, how quickly the world owes him something. Yes. He knew existed only 10 seconds ago. Right. Right. And on planes... Flying is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story. And it's like a horror story. It's, they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's yeah. how bad they make it sound. Right. They're like, it was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes. We had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? That you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, Oh my God! Wow! Yeah! You're flying. You're, you're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yeah. 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 yeah that's right. 
Now, Louis, but, but it doesn't it doesn't go back a lot. And, and it's not really. You know, here's the thing. People like they say there's delays on flights. Delays yeah. really. New York to California in five hours. That used to take 30 years to do that. And a bunch of you would die on the way there and have a baby. You'd be a whole different group of people by the time you got there. Now you watch a movie and you take a dump in your home. Yeah. Nicer way to say it than that, but yeah. No. <laughs> so that is that is comedian Lewis C K. You can find, you can see the YouTube clip on uh, DrAnonymous.com. Uh, it's it's so true. It is so true. Like did did you remember when uh, when you actually had to to uh, use the keys to uh, open the car and <laughs> have these electronic whatever? And now we have these. Uh, they, not only do they open unlock the car. They start the car. <laughs> I remember those rotary phones, you know. I remember, uh, you know, being real, you know, upset like, oh, it's a zero. You have to put the zero. <laughs> How lame is that? <laughs> you had to go, you had to walk all the way over to the TV to switch to the premium channel so you can see the Cinemax. <laughs> So, you know, just a uh, just little perspective here. So I thought that was kind of funny. I wanted to share that with you. Uh, so we got five minutes left here. So I do want to uh, thank my guest again, uh, Mudfutter. You can find him at mudfutter.com. Best of luck with Match Day last week. Great interview. Great guy. And uh, he's going he's gonna to do well for himself uh, wherever he ends up. So I hope he, uh, hope he uh, comes back to the show sometime and uh, you know, let us know uh, how he's doing. I do want to thank my callers. I do want to thank uh, Mother Jones for calling in, and, and I do want to uh, thank uh, Eric. I think that was his name, Eric from Montana. Thank you so much for uh, calling into the show. Um, and thank everybody in the chat room here. Uh, we had a great, another great chat room tonight, and thanks you for everybody who uh, listening on the archives. If you want to uh, support the show, it's pretty easy. It's uh, DrAnonymous.com, DrAnonymous.net. DrAnonymous.org. One of them takes to the to my blog. One takes to my Facebook page, and the other one takes you directly to my iTunes feed, where you can subscribe to the show. Yes, yes, you can listen to this show anytime. <laughs> Our uh, next show will be Saturday night, uh, March fourteenth, uh, two thousand nine, at nine p.m. Eastern time right here on the network. It will be the night shift with Dr. A. Of course, that's me. And, uh, of course, our co-host, Kat, and uh, had a, a great show last week. We were able to check that out. It was uh, very funny. Uh, I had a good time with that. And one week from tonight, he's in our chat room right now. We have the, the trauma junkie who's coming in on the show. And we talk about his blog, and I'll talk about his new blog, Carnival. I'm highlighting respiratory therapy. It's a good time there, so we'll be uh, having him on the show one week from tonight. So uh, uh, we got three minutes left here, so I will close up the show here. Thanks a lot for everybody for joining us, and uh, I think that's it. So I am your humble host, Dr. Anonymous. You can always find me at Dr. Anonymous. Dot com. Here's our closing song here, and uh, we will see you next time. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you Saturday night for the night shift. Good night.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.